Open up to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. We are continuing a theme that I didn't know about. <laughs> with clothes. What, what are you clothed with? What are you wearing? So we're going to have a little fashion show here. No. But I want you to think, how did you choose your clothes this morning? Please don't answer out loud. For some of you, it might be embarrassing. <laughs> Kind of like going up to somebody and say, what in the world are you wearing? <laughs> How did you choose your clothes? Did you look at the weather? Maybe some of you, you know, the practical ones among us, kind of like, okay, it's going to be warm and sunny, you know, a balmy 46, 47 today. Okay. Maybe for some of you it was expectations. I'm going to church. I need to dress a certain way. Kids especially. You know, my parents, this is what I want to wear. Well, my parents are going to make me wear, going to have to wear that. Maybe convenience. This is a big one for me. I open up the closet. What do I not have to iron? That's my bare minimum standard. Don't want to iron. I don't mind ironing. It just takes too long. In many ways, we choose our clothing based on what we're going to face that day. I mean, I would hope that if you were going to a casual day at the beach, you would wear something a little different than you would if you were going to a formal indoor wedding, right? You, you would, I hope, wear something slightly different or hopefully drastically different. In the passage that we look at today, Peter is writing to people facing a particular set of circumstances, kind of like their day, but it's not just a day. It's their life. And it's difficult. We've talked about this throughout the letter of 1 Peter. They are struggling, suffering because of their faith. They're trying to hold on to trust in Jesus Christ, trying to live out their faith in a culture that does not accept what they believe and is in fact turning against them, persecuting them because of their belief in Jesus Christ. And he's going to tell them to dress appropriately. Put something on. And I think that what he tells them to put on is surprising. We might think, put on truth and justice, and those are good and certainly taught throughout Scripture. Might put on good, sound arguments, how to argue with your culture. There's a place for giving sound reasoning for our faith. But Peter's going to tell them in this passage, put on humility. Put on humility. Now, last week, we started... Uh, in the passage in chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, and we looked at elders and followers, leaders, followers. We also talked about how it applied to just everybody in general, those that are more mature in their faith, those that are still growing, that we need to look out for each other, help one another out. And that's the context into which Peter has this tendency. He'll say something about something else, and then he'll kind of use that as a jumping off point to his next idea. And so let me read for you verses 5 through 7. We covered the first part last week. We'll pick it up in the middle this week. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourself to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. 
So he's talked about this relationship between elders and others, between older, younger, between those more spiritually mature and those who are still growing. And he, he applies this idea of submission and clothing with humility. But he has that little phrase there, all of you. He's no longer just talking about older, younger leaders. He's saying all of you, everybody in the church, all of you, in the midst of this difficult circumstance of suffering and wondering how are we going to keep going, here's his challenge and his encouragement. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. So we need to look first at humility toward others. That's where... Peter starts. How do we apply this concept of humility humility toward other people? And he starts off with that phrase in the same way at the beginning of verse 5. This is one of Peter's favorite phrases. And he uses it to link things together, but often he uses it to tie together important themes throughout his book. In chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, he described elders shepherding the flock under Christ as the chief shepherd. He says, your relationship with Christ influences how you lead. Verse 5, he applies this to the younger people. In the same way, he takes that same idea. Just as you are in a relationship with Christ and submit to him, that influences how you submit to those who are your leaders. In chapters 2 through 3, we talked about common relationships in their society. These were the fabric of their everyday society. Some were slaves. Now they've come to know Christ, and they're going, what does this mean? I'm free in Christ but I am still a slave in my culture. What does this look like? And Peter challenged them. He said, In reverent fear of God, submit yourself to your masters. To this you were called, verse 21 of chapter 2, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Verse 25, For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseers of your souls. Peter applies the gospel to the lowest of the lows. He says, You want to know how to live? Live the gospel. Look at Jesus and how he served you. Now you serve others in the same way. Peter goes on in chapter 3, verse 1. Wives, in the same way. There's that gospel imported. In the same way, wives, this is how you are to submit to your own husbands. To the husbands, chapter 3, verse 7. In the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. In the same way, take the gospel and apply it to your relationships. Peter continually applies the truth of the gospel to all of our human relationships, but especially now, here in chapter 5, he's applying it to our relationships in the church. All of our human relationships are defined and redefined by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, chapter 5, verse 5, he's saying to the people in the church, submit to your elders in the same way, applying the gospel, And now he broadens it. And all of you, all of you, young and old, others and leaders, followers, young and old, in the same way with this attitude, this perspective, the perspective of the gospel. Put that on. Let that be how you interact with one another. So how do we live out the gospel in the same way, in the church? What does this look like? So we come to the middle of verse 5 there. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. So here he's talking about putting something on. Clothe yourselves. The word here is interesting because it's it's not the typical word that scripture would use for clothing. It's specific to tying something onto you. 
it's a little more narrow in focus. And a lot of scholars believe that he's specifically referring to something that servants would do, like tying an apron, where there was a certain sash or rope they would wear to kind of designate that they were servants in their society. And so that a lot of scholars have wondered, is that specifically what Peter's talking about? But regardless, the idea is put something on that shows to the world you belong to Jesus Christ. Our clothes say a lot about us. I mean, like it or not, we judge people by appearances. And, and Peter's saying, look, how are people looking at you as a Christian? What are they seeing? Are they seeing a gospel-shaped humility? Is that what we're tying on to ourselves, binding ourselves with, uh, uh, clothing ourselves with? Is that what the world is going to see? Now, don't forget, these people were suffering loss. Some of them were losing homes and family members and money and jobs and, and losing income in the marketplace because they were followers of Jesus Christ, not just because it was a tough world, but because they believed in Christ and their world was rejecting them for that. So that's the situation here. And Peter says, in that situation, here's what you need to do. Put on, clothe yourselves with humility. Paul says the same thing in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 4. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. So he starts with the gospel, Paul does. He says, if you have this encouragement from being united with Christ, which is a fancy way of saying, if you're a Christian and you mean it, now it needs to affect how you interact with each other and then from there, he goes on in the rest of the section to talk about how Christ left heaven to serve us by dying for us on the cross. So you see, the biblical authors can take this idea of gospel. The Son of God came and died on the cross to save us from our sins. That's what Pastor Al was talking about in the children's message. He takes our sin, pays the price, we get his righteousness. But all of Scripture says, says don't stop there. Take that idea and apply it to your relationships with each other. I am new in Christ. You are new in Christ. I didn't save myself. You didn't save myself. So how can we interact and act toward each other? Humility. And what does this world need to see among God's people? Humility. What's going to demonstrate the gospel to this world that says, I don't believe? Humility. That's not the answer we want, is it? We, we want to storm the gates and fight the fight and... and post mean and nasty things online. We want to do all these things. This will change the world. And Peter says, no. Start with your own attitude and your own actions. Humility. And he says, verse 5, he quotes roughly from Proverbs 3.34, because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Throughout Scripture, there is a pattern. There's a pattern in trusting God for our status. Trusting Him for our future, and for the outcome. God's will, God's timing, God's way. If we truly believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, we will, must, demonstrate this in our relationships with each other in the church through mutual humility. 
as we demonstrate this mutual humility, the gospel is put on display for the world to see. Now, this attitude of humility is not just so we can get along, not just so it's fun. I mean, it is fun. It's fun to get along. But it's more than that. It's because by exercising that humility, we are declaring we believe in something bigger than ourselves. We believe in a gospel. The Son of God sent from heaven to save us. And we believe in a God that holds all of eternity in the palm of his hands, including us. And our attitude of humility toward one another displays that trust. And so Peter naturally moves into this idea of humility toward God. Look at verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Peter shifts here from our relationship with each other to our relationship with God, but he applies the same principle. Humble yourselves. Now, it sounds like a command, and it is. But it's interesting. We're going to get a little technical here. I'm sorry. A little bit of grammar, okay? It's passive voice. So passive voice is not something you're doing. That's what this English translation looks like. Humble yourself, that you should make yourself more humble. That's not actually what the Greek says. The Greek is be humbled. God is making you more humble. We are to submit to it. Acknowledge what God is doing, trust him, and submit to it. This is not work really hard at being a lot more humble. It's recognizing that God is God and we are not, and he is in control. Peter specifically says that it is God who does it. He says the rest of verse 5 there, therefore, under God's mighty hand. Now remember the situation they're in. They're losing their status, losing friends, losing family, losing income, losing influence. And Peter says, what are you going to do in this situation? Humble yourselves under God's mighty hand. Here he's moving even beyond, I think, the relationships in the church and now talking about their relationship with all of society. Humble yourselves under God's mighty hand. Peter is reminding them God's mighty hand has led them into this difficulty. God knows where they are. He has led them to it as difficult as it is. The followers of Jesus Christ are to accept God's authority, God's sovereign leading. We are under God's mighty hand. But equally, there's an encouragement. If God's mighty hand led us into a situation, then if we are under his mighty hand, we are also under his protection. And there's great hope there. God knows what's going on in the first century church. He knows what's going on here today in our situation. We are under God's mighty hand. To what end? What does God want for us? He says that he may lift you up in due time. Do you hear the faith oozing out of that passage? That He may lift you up. Trust in him. When it looks like everything's falling apart, submit to the Lord, trust in Him. In humility, admit that He is in charge. He is God. We are not. Think about what Peter has already told them. Let me just go through some key points in this book really quickly. Chapter 1, verse 1, they were chosen by God. He calls them God's elect. 
Chapter 1, verse 3, they have a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Chapter 1, verse 4, into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for them. Verse 5, they are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Chapter 1, verses 6 through 7, though for now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith may result in praise, glory, and honor when Christ is revealed. Chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, But now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. What Peter is saying here in verse 6, Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. He is saying they must lean on, lean into, stand on, sink their roots down deep into their identity of people saved by Jesus Christ. He says, That's your hope. That's your security. Not what's going on in the world. Not what's going on in your relationship. But the gospel hope of Jesus Christ. No matter what the world does. No matter how difficult things get. We have, just like they did then, a promise that God will lift us up in due time. Not our timing. His timing. Not our ways. His ways. But the promise is there and it is rooted in the truth the unshakable truth that the Son of God died in our place and rose from the grave, promising eternal life to all who believe. Being humble toward God means knowing, admitting, and living like God is in control. Be humble. Trust that if God leads us into a situation, He will also lead us through it that he may lift you up in due time. Our response is to be humility, to accept, or to be humble, to accept that he is God and we are not. This humility is possible only if we truly see ourselves through the lens of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't have to make much of ourselves. We can trust that in God's way and in his timing, he will lift us up for his glory and our good. That sounds wonderful, and it's good, and it's important, but it's also really, really difficult. And that's where Peter turns next. Let's look at verse 7. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. He doesn't really need to explain where the anxiety is coming from. He's explained it throughout the whole book. They're struggling. Maybe you're struggling today. Maybe you're specifically struggling as they were with, with my boss doesn't understand my faith or my coworkers are persecuting, my, my husband or my wife doesn't understand my belief in Jesus Christ. Maybe it's general. What's going on in this world? Why, why does this world not support what we believe? It's hard to live as a Christian. And sometimes, in those difficult moments, we experience anxiety. Now, Peter links these two ideas that I don't think we would normally put together. We would understand a link between anxiety and trust. That makes a lot of sense. But Peter links anxiety and humility. Anxiety and humility. 
Because the expression of trust that Peter is teaching here is that if we trust, we will show humility. The word here for anxiety has the idea of being pulled in different directions. Like having a whole bunch of ropes tied onto your body and everyone is being pulled by a strong man in a different direction. Ever felt that way? Some of us live that way. Tension, anxiety, constantly pulled. Which is interesting because at the beginning of this, he says, cast all your anxiety. And that word for cast is take something and throw it on something else, trusting it will hold it. Cast it off. It's not yours anymore. Put it on something. Could be used. Casting a rope onto a pillar to hold on tight. So we are being pulled in many different directions like ropes tugging at us constantly. He says, take that, take the knots that are tying you up, whatever they may be, take them off of you and put them on God. Trust him to be the anchor that holds you fast. Only God is strong enough to take the tensions that we face, the conflict, the difficulty, all of our anxieties tugging us in all different directions. Not only is he strong enough and able to take this, but he says why. Because he cares for you. Because he cares for you. How often we forget in the midst of difficulty how much the Lord God cares for us. So often we forget what God has done for us through the gospel of Jesus Christ. If God would send his son to die in your place and take your sin, you can know for certain he cares about you in whatever situation you're in. Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39, What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Do you hear how Paul is linking this hope to the gospel? He who did not spare his son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble? or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Do you hear the tension? Here's the directions they're being pulled in. Paul says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ our Lord. That's casting your cares. That's Paul saying, I'm taking all this struggle and weight and tension, and I'm putting it on the one thing I know can hold me, the cross of my Savior, Jesus Christ. Friends, if you have trusted in Jesus Christ, then we need to remember that the God who gave his son to save us and promises us eternal life in heaven will never leave us, never forsake us, and never give up on us. 
Listen to that incredible truth from 1 Peter 5, verse 7, that we need to hear in our anxiety. He, this God who created and sustains all things, who gave his son to die in our place so that we can be saved and holds us secure through this difficulty, promising us a hope and a future. He cares for you right now in this moment. So what's the response? Cast your anxiety on him. Give it to him. He's strong enough. I guarantee he's stronger than you and I. Cast it on the Lord. I wanted several months ago to do a sermon series on responding to changing culture, changing society. If you remember way back when we started this series on 1 Peter, I talked about I was going to look at Old Testament prophets, wanted to look at Lamentations, and we did touch on some of those things. I wanted to talk about how we should respond as Christians to a changing culture that no longer believes what we believe. How should we live in exile today? This is what led me to 1 Peter and to decide to do a sermon series on this book. Here we are at the beginning of the conclusion of this book. Peter is writing to people who are struggling just like us to live out their faith in a difficult culture. And one of the first things he leaves them with at the end of the book is this phrase, be humble, cast your anxiety on the Lord. Many of us might be wondering, how will Christianity survive? What's going to happen to the faith we believe? What's going to happen to the church? What do we do? How should we respond? And we get anxious. We need to hear what Peter says. Let us respond with humble trust in our God. Let us show by our attitudes and actions that we believe God is in control, that he cares about us, that he has a plan for us. Let us live in a gospel-shaped, gospel-soaked humility because the world needs to see that because they're certainly not seeing it anywhere else that is a different way of fighting for yourself than what our world does and it will i believe in god's sovereign plan that attitude in the people of christ will cause the world to take notice and then we can point them to jesus christ who can save them as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I think if we were honest, many of us would admit we are living in anxious days and anxious times. And Father, I love that your word addresses these needs and these concerns in so many different ways. You hear and know our struggles. You you bring your truth to apply to these situations. You call us to look to your Son, Jesus Christ. And in faith, to be humble toward one another, to be humble toward you, and in humility, to cast our anxieties on you, knowing that you have a plan and a will and a purpose that will never fail. I pray, Father, if there's anyone here struggling with anxiety, may they look to your Son, Jesus Christ, in whom 
and in whom alone we can have salvation. In whose name we pray. Amen.